When I was in Bible college, I used to sit up in the bleachers and watch some of the students that were there, and there was one individual that had a large Bible, and I always thought, man, he's reading his Bible so faithfully, until one day I walked up to him, and I looked to see what he was doing, and inside of his Bible was a Lewis Lamar book. Uh, many of you probably know who Lewis Lamar is. He's an author that would write westerns, and so uh, that individual doesn't live too far from here. His uh, mother is, does my taxes for me, and so if he's watching, ha-ha, I gotcha. And, uh, but it's interesting as we think about that particular scenario of watching a western. I've been not doing well through the last nine months, and many of you have known, and, and I've whined to many of you uh, through it. Uh, still been able to stay functional, and my doctor doesn't like to talk to me too much. Whenever she gets on the phone, she says, oh, I got another phone call, I got to go, and uh, because I whine and tell them that if I could just stay functional through this, everybody would be happy, and uh, a lot of you know uh, some of the difficulties that uh, have been here through the, the of course, the the situation with COVID and our country the way it is and so on and dealing with other issues and then trying to uh, finish up my master's degree. By the way, I graduate May 2nd out in California. My wife and I are going to fly out there and I'm just finishing up the synopsis and looking forward to just finishing up four more doctorates. I've already done several and uh, they want about six pages per each doctorate and I enjoy that. Right now I'm on Christology and uh, giving me a little bit more of an understanding, even though my doctrinal statement was given 24 years ago to this church, maybe 25 years ago, um, I'm still learning and looking forward to when I get into my 80s. Uh, I think I might be able to be a good preacher by then, so keep praying for me, and uh, that God would give you the patience to, to stay with me on this. But when I was dealing with this issue and laying on my back with my foot up, I found it comforting to watch the old, old West shows and some of the old movies, the Westerns, and as I'm watching John Wayne, uh, he's like almost in every Western, it seems like, and I didn't even know who Audie Murphy was, to be honest with you, but mo- both, of course, fought, I believe Audie Murphy fought for our, our, uh, our country and came back and enjoyed these last, you know, 70 to 80 years we've had of freedom and, and the ability to, to be able to build and have families and live at peace and be able to not have war on this land. I think that sometimes watching some of these films and not just watching the old westerns, but also some of the war movies, uh, sometimes they make it look like it's a Hollywood scene, and it's not like that. Not like that at all. As we look at this passage this morning, and we look at what uh, the children of Israel went through and uh, some of the Old Testament examples. I, I, I know that it was not a romantic walk in the park like Hollywood like to, would like to make it. And men who have been through it, of course, tell a different story. And some of the most, uh, I think it's the most graphic uh, descriptions of battle come from Bruce Canton's excellent books on the American Civil War. And if you've never looked through them, he gives a description of what took place even with the Army of the Potomac. Uh, they provided a striking understanding of the toughness of both the Yankee uh, soldiers and the rebel soldiers, and their lives were filled with deprivation and danger that is hardly imaginable today. It was not unusual for the troops to make a two-week 
uh, forced march during which the commanders would threaten the staggering ones with the sword and saying, you got to keep up with the others. And the men were often thrown into the heat of a terrible battle uh, just moments after reaching the front. And then they would engage with exhausting combat for days with sleepless nights on the ground and sometimes in freezing rain or snow. And during the battle itself, they didn't get very much to eat, sometimes a hard biscuit called a hardtack. And, uh, of course, still very little else to eat. And sometimes in, in, in the combative times, the combative times, they would add a little bit of a salt pork to their diet, maybe a little bit of coffee uh, they would get. And that was it. And as the, the expected, their intestinal tracts were uh, shredded on the inside many times and became, they became diseased and many of their ranks would have to stay behind. And the Union Army reported upwards 200,000 casualties just from disease, often disabling up to 50% of the soldiers. And the Confederates suffered, of course, similar fate. And if we were to talk about combat, we would have stories that would turn your stomach. Combat experiences itself was unbelievably violent in, in those days, and thousands of men stood toe-to-toe and slaughtered one another like flies. After one particular bloody battle in 1862, that was 199 years uh, before I was born, uh, 5,000 men laid dead in two square mile, as we think about what they went through. 20,000 more were wounded, One witness said it was possible to walk from one body, dead body to the next. For 100 yards, they could walk on bodies. And these were soldiers that paid the price for us to be able to have what we have today. It's amazing what's being taught in our schools. It's amazing how they have left education to indoctrinate people, to believe what they want them to believe. And there's never been a need uh, more greater than the hour that I believe today for a Christian school and for a Christian teaching. And moms and dads, if you have your children in the public school, beware, because they're going to come home with some strange thinking because their pot-smoking teacher has weird thinking. Many of the wounded soldiers would fall to their death. Many of the horses would die. And you could stand back in the woods, perhaps, and listen to the groans of the soldiers and the cries through the echoing through the valleys in the countryside. And while their willingness to endure these physical deprivations, if you would, is almost incomprehensible, one has to admire the emotional toughness of the troops, and they believed in their cause. Whether they were Union or Confederate, they were committed and they committed their lives to that cause. And most believed that they would not survive the war. But that was of little consequence. And this perhaps no better illustration than taking the papers and the letters that one of the majors named Major Sullivan, I think it's Ballou, of the Union Army penned to his wife, July 14, 1861. They had been married for only six years, and then he went off to battle. These powerful words were written back to her, Dear Sarah. The indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow, and lest I should not be able to write again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eyes when I 
shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack confidence in the cause in which I am engaged and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans on the triumph of the government and how great a debt that we owe to those who went before us and sacrificed their blood and suffered during the Revolutionary War. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain the government and to pay the debt. Sarah, my love, for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love for country comes over me like a strong wind that bears me irresistibly to move on. And all these chains keep me on the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me and I feel most deeply grateful to God and to you and I have enjoyed them so long and how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up and to be honorable men and live around us. If I don't return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes from me in the battlefield, you will hear me whisper your name. Forgive my many faults, my many pains I have caused you, how thoughtless and how foolish I have been so many times. Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and somehow surround those that they love, I shall always be near you in the gladdest day and in the darkest night amidst your happiest scenes and your gloomiest hours. Always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath or a cool air throbbing against the temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me, Dad. Think I am gone and wait for me, for I will meet you again. Sullivan. Of course, he was killed one week later. I was wondering if any of you thought about the physical difficulties that people have gone through in a battle. I think that there are those that are seeing what's happening in the Ukraine coming down, of course, to, uh, from the north, from the northeast and into that land which they so loved and thought that, that they owned. Uh, since 1991, they have been claiming their land wasn't really given to them completely till 2004, and they're not about to give it up, and they will die for their country. And I think that that... It's part of the American desire. Oh, America, would you please breathe again? And the pulpits would cry out, repent, America, again. And people would be stirred by the Spirit of God instead of being stirred by the sensual things of this world. 
and would be moved to making decisions, I wonder sometimes about reading these old, uh, perhaps to some archaic battles that took place in the Chronicles. They are to me the truth, and they did happen, and they're not just fiction. I really believe every word of this book. In the beginning, God, there's no debate about it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible starts with not an assumption, with the fact that God did create everything and that God is on his throne. And as you read a little further, you see how much he loved you and I and how he has created all things for our pleasure and for us to be able to enjoy life and be able to live at peace with all men. And so much more he did for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. To be able to take care of the sin problem because of the human predicament of the sin issue that we have been born a sinner. And if you've never been born again, then you're on your way to hell. And the truth of the matter is that you need to stop playing games with God. And you come to church and you dress up and you come in and you say, well, now I went to church. It's a wonderful thing. Yes, it is. But if you've never been born again then you're in big trouble because there needs to be a second birth. I think the seriousness of it comes out in this particular story, and I was thinking about uh, this particular battle a little bit more. But I think about our battle, that we're really battling not physically here in America, but it's such an intense spiritual battle today, isn't it? It's so hard and difficult sometimes because we have this oppression and depression and all of these things that come upon us. And the battle for the Christian is an incredible spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6 becomes more alive in our day. We see that there is perilous days and unraveling days before us. And the battle to walk in the way of wisdom and the battle to be honest and to do what's right and the battle to live pure and clean and the battle to be a witness and testimony for Jesus Christ at home and in church and in the workplace and how should we face the battle and when we see troubles on the horizon what are we supposed to do well whether physical or spiritual the text this morning applies to us in the way of the introduction to our, task, to our text, I think it would be good to talk about Ahab just for a little bit. Of course, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. I think a lot of times we look at these kings and wonder about the kingdoms. And at this particular time, we know that Israel already had the first king, which was Saul, and then David replaced him. And then we know that, of course, Solomon is on the scene. And, and we understand all of this, and we look, and then we don't really understand that there was a divided monarchy, that there was those in the southern kingdom and those in the northern kingdom. Uh, and the southern kingdom, of course, was Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. And this, is, this particular land was called, of course, the, 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 being the southern kingdom, uh, was the kings of Judah, and Judah, of course, as we know of, uh, one of the children of Israel. But the kings that were over them in Judah, Benjamin, and Levi were Rehoboam, and Abijah, and Asa, and Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram, and Ahaziah, and Athaliah, of course. And Athaliah was interesting. She was the only queen. She was the wife of Jehoram, the fifth king, if you would, over the divided monarchy. And uh, she was the only queen to occupy the throne of Judah, Athaliah. She was wicked, a daughter of Jezebel. 
And then there was Joash. And then there was Amaziah and Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah and Manasseh and Ammon and Josiah and Jehoaz and Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and, of course, the last Zedekiah. And these were the 19, if you would, kings and one queen. 20 were involved with this particular uh, portion of the children of Israel. And we see that here was interesting because there was also the northern kingdoms, and this was Ephraim and Reuben and Simeon and Issachar and Zebulun. Um, there was Dan and Ashur, uh, Asher, if you would. There was Gad and Naphtali and Manasseh. And these were, if you would, the northern kingdoms. And over them was Jeroboam and Nadab and Basha and Elah and Zimri and Omri and Ahab and Azaziah. I hope you're listening because we're having a test afterwards. Jehoram and Jehu and Jehoaz and Jehoash and Jeroboam the second and Zechariah and Shalom and Menahem and Pekahiah and Peke and Hoshea. And these were the kings, of course, we know in the northern kingdom. So what is the significance does this have? Well, we know that Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. Jehoshaphat was rebuked of this in the 19th chapter. If you look at the 19th chapter in verse number 2 with me, look at 1 and 2 of the 19th chapter. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him. And said to the king Jehoshaphat, Shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is the wrath upon thee from before the Lord. And nevertheless, there are good things found in thee. And thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. I think it's important for us to understand that there were flaws in him, but yet there was a desire to do what is right. I think if we were to back up a little bit and understand that this particular story was given to us to help us understand the battle, but what to do when battles come. Ahab distinguished himself, disguised himself, of course, we know, and he was found out. A man drew back the bow and pierced Ahab through his breastplate. That evening, the king of Israel died just as the sun went down, and Jehoshaphat then which is Jehovah's judge, or Jehovah judges, went on to do great things for Judah, like bringing the people back to God and establishing, really, judges that could make right decisions. And that's the hope of our country, that we would have judges in place that had a good discernment, that could make decisions that were right. Um, I think we're failing that now. And uh, those that are being put in position sometimes don't have the qualifications and the love for the Constitution and the love for to follow the law instead of just following public opinion. But look at verse number 5, if you would, of chapter 19 of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And here it says, He set judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. Who is with you in judgment? And again, this would be a good verse to have put on a plaque in 
the judge's chamber, any judge that's out there and thinking that they are making decisions on their own, they better be seeking the Lord. Wherefore now, let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. Gives us an understanding a little bit more that, that he, Jehoshaphat, was able to understand, and it was a good king, was able to put men in charge that could make the right decisions. And the scene picks up in chapter 20 then with the Moabites and the Ammonites now came against Judah and the king, Jehoshaphat, and the battle was drawing near. And what is he going to do? I think it's important for us to know that this particular portion of Scripture, verse chapter 20 all the way to verse number 25, verse 1 to 25, gives us a description of what to do when the battle comes and how should we respond. Uh, somebody right now might be battling something, and, and, and you say, well, I'm not battling people. Well, I hope not. I hope that you realize that it's not the person next to you that's the problem. It's probably a spiritual battle of your own. And uh, I think when a person gets to the place where everybody makes them mad, they need to look in the mirror because it's probably them that needs to change. And uh, that person can distance themselves from people and you can go ahead and self-medicate, but the best thing you can do is deal with your own soul and give it to God. I think Total Surrender is a good book to read by Andrew Murray. It would help you understand a little bit more of, of how you can walk with God, being totally, totally surrendered to him. But in the portion of Scripture, I want to just read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 20 again with us and understand that if we're going to be able to battle the right way spiritually, I think the first thing we need to do is we must sincerely seek the Lord's face. That whatever trouble you're going through, whatever rejection you feel or whatever sense of difficulty is in your path, I think the first thing that you need to do is to seek the Lord's face completely, wholeheartedly saying, I seek you, Lord. This morning I was laying in bed around 3.30 and I wanted to get up as soon as it was light and get on my four-wheeler and go to the woods. Because there is something about the woods and the solitude of the woods that gives me an opportunity to get in my face where no one can see me and cry out to God. Oh, wretched man that I am. You ever feel that way? If, if you don't, get a bigger picture of God, because when you have a big picture of God, you'll know who you really are. And you'll cry out before him. How do we seek him? How do we seek the Lord? I think the first thing is prayer. Look at verse number one with me of chapter 20. It says, And it came to pass that after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them others besides the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And then there came some and told Jehoshaphat, saying, Come, there, there comes a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and the, the side of Syria. And behold, there they be in Hazazontamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all the people and all the judges and all of Judah. And I think it's important for us to understand when we go through difficult times, the best thing, the first thing that King Jehoshaphat did was he went to prayer. You see, sometimes prayer is the last thing we do. 
Oh, and by the way, would you pray for so-and-so? It's going to be the very first thing on your mouth, in your subject when you're talking to somebody. Would you please pray for them? You know, when I'm with people in their home, I was yesterday in, in a home of someone that was in our church before the COVID strike, and, and COVID caused a lot of division. A lot of people had their thought about what's going on, and I have my own thoughts of what took place over the last two years. I have my own devotional thoughts, if you would, that I would like to discuss in front of uh, Dr. Fauci is one of them. I would like to sit down with him and talk to him. Say, I've listened to you for two years. Now you listen to God. Listen to God and then quote scripture to him. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name upon the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thy enemies. That thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou hast placed all things under his feet. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast placed all oxen, the sheep, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I think that people that have the most fear are those that don't know that God is on his throne. I think that our faith needs to increase, and by the way, that increases when you hear the word of God being preached. And so if you're struggling with your faith, just listen to a sermon this week. Go back in the archives, and you can do it so quickly now with YouTube, and just look up some great preachers and listen to some of their preaching, and it will encourage your heart, and it will strengthen you. But he's talking about prayer here, and I think it's interesting because he doesn't meet with his committee. He just says, let's go ahead and have prayer. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4.29, But if from thence thou seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 1 Chronicles 16, verse number 10 says, Glory ye in his holy name, and let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Psalm 34, verse number 10 says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I would say the first thing we need to do when the battle becomes too strong is for us to remember, of course, that it's not our battle, that it's God's battle. But if you choose not to seek the Lord, dear dear friend, that it's your battle, then you're in it alone. If you say, I can handle this, God, I don't need you, then you can go ahead and, and continue on. But as for me and my house, we will seek the Lord through every difficult time. And if I have a son that calls me and says, Dad, what should I do? I'm not going to say, well, you need to run and get the best-selling book on being a great man. No, seek the God of heaven, your creator. He has a purpose for you. He desires to use you. I think the Bible's 
clear that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so what do I pray? Look at verse number 12, if you would, in your Bible. It says, Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against the great company that thou comest against. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. He's saying, God, I I, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. Looking unto Jesus, there's great hope there. Consider Christ this morning in your difficulty. And God will give you the strength to get through it. Like I say, if you do this, you understand that he will give you victory through the battle. Because it's his battle and not yours if you give it to him. I think you need to admit what you did was wrong. And admit that he is God. I think you need to ask for help in verse number 4. And look what the Bible says. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. And even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. What a powerful thing to have one person say, I'm going to seek the Lord, but to have the whole group say, let's seek the Lord together. God is pleased in that. I really believe that God's going to answer our prayer next Saturday morning at 8.30 when we get together with a bunch of strong Christian men getting together, and I hope you come with me over to Madison Baptist Church and eat their food and mess up their basement for the months, and go be able to pray with these men and be able to say, God, you need to help us come to our rescue. I believe he'll hear our prayer. And I believe he'll heal our land. And wouldn't it be wonderful at the last minute and the time when you want to give up that God would turn this around and we'd see more souls saved in Madison, Wisconsin than ever before? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, because we'd give him the glory. Because it's not the intellectual of man that's the answer. It's not our smooth personality. It's not our articulate way of speaking. It is the power of the almighty God moving in the heart of men and bringing them to repentance. We allow God to speak to us through his word and through his spirit and believe that God will hear you. 2020 is a good verse, 2 Chronicles. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 20. The Bible says here in verse number 20, and they rose early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went forth to Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. And you have it in sub-Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and so shall you be established. Believe in the prophets, and so you shall prosper. What a wonderful thing to be able to give us an outline to help us understand what we are supposed to do. I think it's by prayer, but it's also by fasting. There are people in this room that fast every single week. I know who you are. You may be hiding it from me, but... I've heard through the grapevine, and some of you have told me that you fast. I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. When was the last time you fasted and prayed? Fasting has been the the practical uh, and really the practice in times of sorrow and affliction, and it, it may regard as a dictate of nature, which under these circumstances refused nourishment and suspends the cravings of hunger. And how many of you ever been really, really hungry? Raise your hand. I have been. In fact, I'm getting a little hungry now. All I had was a bagel with peanut butter on it this morning, and I'm ready for a good cheeseburger or something about now. But I'm talking about going for a full day, 24 hours without food. You get really hungry. And if you go two days, you start getting a headache with that hunger. And after a while, you realize that you have been babied by yourself, you know. Me want bottle. Now. 
and you see the little baby crying out, well, guess what? Look in the mirror, dear friend, because without all of your food that you eat, you also would. You know what? I think fasting is a healthy thing. It's good for you physically, but it's also really good for you spiritually. Years ago, I would fast on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, I wouldn't eat anything all day long. I would go to work, and I worked at the Postal Service, and I'd find a bathroom then during the day and go into that bathroom and lock the door and get on my face before God and cry out to him. And I wouldn't eat anything for supper and go to bed. And early in the morning, I'd get up on the, on, the two, on, the, on the Wednesday morning and I would have food. And it was just so, it tastes so good. It tastes so good. It tastes good when your heart is right with the Lord. It tastes good when you say, Lord, I can't live without you, but I can live without food. But I can't live without you. I need you. It's part of the discipline and self-control. It's a way of sharing that we depend upon God alone and draw all of our strength and our resources from him. It's a way of focusing totally on him when seeking his guidance and help and showing that, our, that you really are in earnest quest of whatever you need. It's also a time of expression of sorrow and deep repentance and something that a person or a community will do in order to acknowledge failure before God and then to seek his compassion and his mercy. And I I really believe that when you humble your heart and you do fast and pray before God, he does hear you in a special way. But I think there's something else besides praying. We must also simply surrender our will to his. I should say we should just simply surrender to his will because it's going to be done anyway. It's far better to just say, okay, let thy will be done. How many have ever wanted to go to a restaurant and you're with a group of people? You think, well, I really don't want to go over to that restaurant. That happened Saturday morning. All the men were thinking about going to a different restaurant besides Cottage Cafe. Cottage Cafe has the best walleye and eggs. Amen? See, I'm going to preach to you whether you like me or like it or not. I'm going to preach. But I, I remember going to other restaurants and they're kind of like a greasy spoon, if you know what I mean. Like the night before, they didn't really clean up too well. And I'm always afraid. I kind of want to inspect that restaurant before I go to it. So sometimes when you suggest and sometimes when somebody else says, well, I think this is better, it's sometimes it's hard to say, okay, we'll just do it your will. And when you do that, sometimes you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do it very happily, okay? We'll do it, but I'm still going to frown the whole time, you know? And then we treat God like that sometimes. Say, well, God, this really isn't my will. And God is saying, what's my will for you to do this and go through this difficulty? I desired you to go through this. Okay, I'll go through it, Lord, but I won't be happy going through it. (laughs) Is this the way we are? We kind of play the game sometimes, folks. When God has allowed things to come into our lives that he has ordered, he has predestined, by the way, When we're talking about predestination, we're talking about Christians. When we're talking about election, we're talking about salvation. Two different subjects. They don't need to be in one sentence. You'll get confused. The born-again believers have had predetermined things that will happen to you to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for the predetermined events that have happened in my life. If God looked down from heaven and said, Dean is not going to turn, unless this happens to him. And I'm thankful that it happened to me. And the biggest burdens that I've had have become my blessings when I say, Lord, 
Let's do it your way. And I'm going to enjoy it because you are knowing what is best for me. Folks, let me tell you something. When the battles come and they're going to come, the best thing we can do is just say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. Isn't this what Jesus did? And we'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks how he wept in the garden. Oh, he must have been troubled getting up three times and looking to see if his friends were still there and those that he had called and put so much time and effort into and then back to the garden all alone, distant from everybody on his face before his father, saying, not my will, but thine, O Lord. Whatever it is, and if Jesus could do that for you, don't you think you could do something for him and say, not my will, Lord, let thine be done. I give you everything, total surrender, whatever you choose. There was a man in our church years ago that, that came to our church and he asked us to have a spaghetti dinner at his house. And so I was delighted. We don't get asked over too often. When we do, I really make a mess of things. I eat as much as I can. No, I'm just kidding you. But I went over to his house to have spaghetti and he sat there afterwards and he said, I'll never be able to join your church. I thought, that's terrible. What do you answer someone like that? What do you say to someone like that? I said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you could. And he said, I really can't because it says that you're, you have to be a member of your church. You have to be immersed. And they poured a bucket over my head of water, and I was baptized that way. And I said, um, I'm sorry you feel that way. And you may have felt emotionally moved at that time because you did surrender to God. But the Bible says that they both went down into the water and they both came up out of the water because it was by immersion. Two weeks went past and he came to me and said, can I talk to you, Pastor? And sat down in my office. He said, I've been praying about this. and I believe it's the will of God that I get baptized by immersion. And so I brought Mike Talley up into there. He's a grown man. Saved, did a lot of work around our church. They moved up north to Eau Claire now, and I get to talk to him now and then. I just talked to him recently, and he told me how that he was so willing to do what God wanted him to do. And if I'm going to place myself into a local body of believers, I need to be baptized by immersion. What a blessing it is when we just say, yes, Lord, have your will and have your way. I'll trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. That was the answer here. Don't be full of discouragement. Look at verse 15. And he said, hearken you all, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. What a powerful thought. I think in closing, I want you to know that not only you must simply surrender to his will, but also we must stand still in his presence. Because sometimes we want to do something. It just seems like the human body wants to, and the human mind wants to take care of this. And I can do this, and I can handle this, God, when God is just saying, stand still, I'll, I'll save you. The Bible 
brings it out here in verse number 17. And we see it here. It says in verse 17, and you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set. It's the word for, it's yalstab. It's the, the Hebrew word for offer. Offer yourselves now. Stand you fast and see the salvation of the Lord with you and Judea and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. And tomorrow, go against them, for the Lord will be with you. I think it's interesting as we think about setting ourselves, because it's really the, it's the, it's the, it's the word for be unmovable, which is our theme for this year. I think he's taking a stand. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So take a stand, because the Lord is with you. Stand strong. I think it's interesting in this particular story, because there were the songs of victory in verses 20 through 25. It talks about how that they sang out to the Lord. In verse number 20, it says, Believe in the Lord your God, and he will establish you. That is, if he is your personal God, through Jesus Christ, he will establish you. Believe in the prophets, verse number 20. They will help you to prosper. And when we sing praises to the Lord, they should reflect the beauty of his holiness. And that's why we sing victory in Jesus They should praise him for his mercy. And then the last three verses of this passage that we read this morning, it shows us his power and his protection and his provision upon those who knew that the battle was not theirs but the Lord's. It's so hard for us not to do things sometimes. It's like we want to fix things. We want to help God out when all we have to do is rest. And we are so full of emotions and so full of anxiety in our day and age because the news people want us to be there. Satan would like to, the prince and power of the air would like for us to live our lives full of stress and and, and full of tension and full of overload and, and full of anxiety. That's what he desires for us. And then he can trick us into certain things that will take the anxiety away, like maybe take a little bit of this or a little bit of that, and maybe this is troubling you, and so you can take this. I know what it's like to have constant pain all the time, and there may, maybe there's some people in here that have that chronic pain. I've never experienced that in my life. I've had boo-boos. And I've gotten up and got through them, but I've never really had pain all the time, and now I do, 24-7. So how am I going to respond to that pain? If I focus upon the pain, you know, I, I think it, it brings it out more even. I remember being at the VA hospital here this last couple of months. I was here about, I was there about three months ago, I think it was, and I had sat up all night in pain, looking out the window. And honestly, dear friend, I thought, how am I going to get out of this? I am in such excruciating pain, and it will not go away. It's 24-7. And I actually was crying, looking out the window. I don't want you to feel sorry for me, because me and God had some wonderful times. In fact, it was around 1.30 in the morning, that particular morning, that I got up and went out in the hallway, and I walked up and down the hallway, and I prayed for you. 
And every person that I came to my mind that I knew was in chronic pain, I began to pray for, Lord, help them. And you know, pretty soon I was smiling at the nurses instead of saying, get away from me. You know, because they weren't about to give any veteran any pain medicine because you know what veterans do with pain medicine? They take advantage of it. Some of them do, but they think all do. So I was without pain medicine for several days uh, in, in severe pain. But it's okay because God reminded me during that time that the pain that he went through is excruciating. And it got to the place where I'm thinking, if he suffered so, oh, let me understand that, that my fellowship with him would increase. So I understand the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ because we want to celebrate and we want to enjoy everything, but when we suffer, what are we going to do? This battle's not mine, Lord. It's yours. And I'm going to continue to stay functional and do what I can do for others. Because remember what I said, faithful, faithful, I will be for the one who died for me. Others, others is his plea. It's so simple, can't you see? Be faithful and live for others, and your life will blossom. Because that's God's plan. And that's what Jesus did. He was faithful all the way to the cross for you and I. And you know what? We don't have to do anything for our salvation. We just need to stand still and look to him, and he will save us. It's not our good works. It's not our paying our taxes on time. All those things are good things, and giving to others is a wonderful thing. But when it comes to salvation, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe, and all the glory goes to him. A self-made man will worship himself. But a God-made man will worship God. Let God take your battle, whatever it is, and realize that it's not yours to begin with. It's God's. And give it to him. And you know what, dear friend? You may have to do that over and over and over again. And he'll remind you of it. You can't do this, but I'll do it for you. What is your battle that you're facing What is the valley that you have a hard time with? Oh, you're not the only one that suffers. You see, because Satan will try to trick you and say, you're just different than everybody else, and your suffering is more than anybody else, and you're weirder than everybody else. No, everybody's weird. I told you I'd tell you the truth. Satan would like to separate you from the pack. That's what lions do, and they devour. Stay faithful to God. He's called you. Stay the course. Give him your battle, and stand still before him. Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Would you just stand where you are, no one looking around this morning? I think it's good for us to have an invitation Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've been struggling with things, but I've been trying to do it on my own. I know. Why don't you give it to the Lord? Why don't you seek Him? Why don't you turn your will over to His? It's best if you just simply come to Jesus. He'll know why you're coming. This is an old-fashioned altar, and if you want to come this morning, you can... Just kneel down and pray.
But maybe there's somebody here this morning that says, Pastor Howell, I truly have not been born again. I've been religious. I've heard of Jesus. In my mind, I know that there is a Jesus, but I've never received him. The Bible is very clear that to those that have received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God and the daughters of God. Just open up your door to your heart and say, Lord, come into my life. I receive you. Not my own way, but thine. And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I need to receive Christ as my Savior. Would you please pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Lift up your hand, nice and high, so I can see it. No one's looking around. Yes, I need Jesus. Is that you this morning? Maybe you've already received him, but you've been battling other things. Why don't you just give it to him? Give up. Give it to him. We'll give an opportunity to do that. After I pray, the invitation will begin. If you need to come, you come. Father, I pray that you'd bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.